Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey everyone, welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. This episode features Nanette de Gaspé Bobien. She's a founder of Nanette de Gaspé. And what's funny about the situation is that everyone just thinks her name is Nanette de Gaspé because that's the name of her brand, but she actually has a longer name, Nanette de Gaspé Bobien. So you'll get to meet her on this show. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Lauren Katz. She's my cousin. She was also Base Beauty's first employee. And now she's a rock star at Moroccan Oil. Hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am sitting across from Nanette de Gaspé Bobien. She's the founder of Nanette de Gaspé. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you here. I want to tell you that the first time I heard about you and your brand was from David Olson of Cosbar. He was um, on a panel at a mm -hmm. CEW event, and I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that before. So I Googled it right away, and that was, I guess, about a year and a half ago. Uh -huh. It says right around the time you launched. Yes, yes. We launched two years ago, actually, May, at Selfridges in London. That was our first store. So um, let's start with something simple. How are you going to spend your time today? How am I going to spend my time today? Okay. Well, I, I'll tell you how I started my day. Okay. I, had a, I had a meeting, a breakfast, with uh, two wonderful women. One is an investor in my business, and the other one um, is interested in being an investor in my business. So I, I, I spent a little time with them, catching them up on um, where the business is going and, and, uh, and um, my vision for the business. And uh, now I'm with you, of course. And when I leave you, I fly back to Montreal. Oh, okay. Yeah, my, we're, I'm from Montreal, and that's where our offices are. Oh, and that's where you grew up, too? Uh, no, actually, I grew up in Ontario. I would say, you know, I, I call myself an English Canadian. My husband is a French Canadian because he's from Montreal. Oh, that's awesome. Well, um, let's talk about what it's like to launch a hyper luxury brand in this marketplace, right? So um, the reason I ask is there's so many kind of value brands popping up, right, mm -hmm. at this time, and prestige brands popping up. Mm -hmm. um, what's it been like to launch a super prestige brand? Well, it's interesting because I had been presented with this technology. That's how the whole thing started. And it was a, a very advanced technology in the delivery of active ingredients to the multiple layers of the epidermis. And it was presented on uh, on in a dry form on a textile. So there were two technologies. It was the, the microvector technology for delivery and a technology to dry print formulations on textiles. And um, when I decided to bring the brand to the market, I felt that the brand, because the technology was so advanced, the brand had to be a luxury brand. It had to come out at the top of the market um, to, to introduce it, you know? So there was no question to me that, that that's where it should be positioned. Mm -hmm. And um, the customer has been receptive? Very receptive, very receptive. Because it was interesting, you know, I, I laughed because when I launched the brand, um, it was very hard to explain what it was, a dry mask, what do you mean, what do you mean, uh, this microvector delivery system, et cetera, et cetera. So I stood on the floor myself at Selfridges for two weeks selling the products, and I sold significant amounts of masks because once people understood exactly what the offering was, they were very willing to pay for it. And, and 
because the, the, the technology has two things, because the microvector delivers deep into the epidermis and we're delivering a really high concentration of actives, there's no water, we're delivering, depending on the mask, in my first collection, Youth Revealed, it's 87% active ingredients and emollients and over 90% natural. And, but... So we've got the deep concentration of actives going to multiple layers of the epidermis. So we've had significant clinical results, measured clinical results. And when I would explain this to people, and people understood that 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 you know this this was um, a science-based technology that really did deliver. They bought the the product. They bought the mask, and and they came back and they bought more. And so it was really quite interesting. <laughs> at the end of the two weeks, and I had never done anything like that before. And at the end of the two weeks, toward the end, people were coming back to say, "I love the masks. Can I have my picture with you?" And Aww. it was very nice. It was very. It was a very special period in my life to to actually be on that floor. You know, yeah, and to be able to touch the customer in such an intimate way—that's exactly, awesome. exactly. So, is the mask like? Do I reuse it? Yes. What it is is it's interesting because we call it a restorative textile treatment. It, it the only application, the only I guess comparison why we call it a mask is because of the application, mm -hmm. the way you put it on. So, so because there is no water in it, uh, it's um, you don't have the issues with the bacteria, and we have a, a hygienic pouch, so you could reseal it, and you can use it. We say three to five times. It's a smart technology. So what happens is when you put it on with a light massage and the temperature of your P and pH of your skin, it activates the infusion into the skin. And you leave it for 15 minutes, and it will only take what your skin needs. So some skins that require more, um, you know, more formulation, they're not as they, they're not as healthy as skin. And maybe I shouldn't say healthy. They just require more treatment will take, it will draw more. So they'll get maybe three applications from the mask, and other people will get four or five applications. It's interesting. We've learned a lot because it's, it is it is a fairly new technology, so we've learned a lot because initially we would say three applications, and then people would come and say, oh, I used it four times. I used it five times. One gentleman I know who really takes great skin care of his skin and is always moisturizing and doing everything, he told me he got six applications. Now, I don't know anybody else, and I haven't gotten six applications, but I would safely say five. How does a customer know when it's done? Like, well, what happens is you would wear it. You know, if you wore it a fourth time and you felt that you're, it's still, you know, that there was a lot of transfer when you oh, take uh -huh. it off. You see because you'll see a glowiness, and you'll also feel the transfer on your face, and then it it will continue to absorb. But you'll know that you have at least another uh, time. And then if you use it a, 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 the next time, say a fifth time, and you find that you, there's really little transfer, you know it's right. you probably got the end of it. It's so fascinating. I mean, just from the purposes of social media and photography, the dry mask is so much more fascinating to look at than a wet mask in, yes. in a unprofessional user-generated photograph, right? Well, it's interesting because we launched my first brand, Nanette, I would never put against a wet mask because there's no comparison in a wet mask. There's three to four percent actives and it's mostly water and glycerin and certainly no delivery technology. So I would not compare it and I, you know, they're at completely different price levels and, and, and Nanette 
is a, a true experience from the, the beauty of the textile to the packaging to the to the you know global formulations in, in it. But I I decided to launch a second brand um, and it launched in February and it's called Mystic Aspe. So where Nanette is my uh, I call it my runway couture brand. Mystic Aspe is my ready to wear. It's a prestige brand, but it's more attainable, more attainable, more accessible. And and Mystic Aspe, even though it also has that incredible advanced technology with unbelievable clinical results, etc., we, we the way we we positioned it was we did targeted masks. So we did a targeted mask for uh, anti-aging, hydrating one for um, for brightening and radiance, and one for detoxification and uh, and uh, anti-pollution. And we decided we priced it in a way that we decided to go straight up against uh, uh, wet masks. So we call it the dry mask revolution. And when you go on our website, Mr. Gaspe, you see uh, you need to go dry, and here's why. And we have, I think it's 10 reasons why you need to go dry. And and we really pushed that where we have a model with uh, the dry mask, happy, taking a selfie, smiling, and the model with the wet mask, and it's dripping, and she's sad. <laughs> so we, we, we have fun with the whole yeah. thing, playing with it, because when you really look at... The, the 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 differences the differences are are you know in the benefits of a dry mask they're quite substantial. Um, so there's so much I want to talk to you about. First, I want to um, talk about your life before beauty. Okay. Right. Uh, you had a career in banking and corporate finance. Yes. Private equity. Um, how did that launch you into beauty? Well, well, what happened was I was working in private equity, and we were doing various deals. We had never done anything in beauty or biotech or anything of that. Uh, in that world, and we were presented with a company, a biotech company that was a Quebec-based company that had created this delivery technology and this approach, and were trying to commercialize it, and they needed uh, financing. So we decided to invest in that company, and at the time, I became executive chair um, with the whole mandate to help them commercialize the technology. And in doing so, I created the opportunity to launch the brand and, and really demonstrate a proof of concept of the technology and that the consumer would really embrace it. And and they really are. It's really, I believe that, that well, wet masks, are, you know, they definitely have their positioning and, and people love them and everything, but I think this is the next generation, right. you know? I love this sort of right place, right time mm-hmm. opportunity, right? You, you don't work in biotech, but yet here's this brand in front of you telling mm-hmm. their story and mm-hmm. um, maybe out of the wheelhouse of your firm, mm-hmm. but you saw this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can just imagine that having a background in private equity is like, such an incredible ad- advantage for you in launching a brand in this business at this time. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I approach things in a different way. And what happened to me when I decided to launch the brand, some very, um, you know, accomplished friends that I really uh, admire greatly and appreciate the value and the advice they give me. One of them said to me, don't do this. You're going to blow your brains out. You've got a good reputation in the business community. Why would you chance it? And B2C is impossible. And, and, and the beauty industry is one of the most competitive industries. It was so funny. And it was at a time in my life where I just really believed what I was doing. And I really believed in this approach to skincare, because I saw the clinical results and how um, how re, uh, rejuvenating, regenerating, you know, how, how good they were, right? And so I said, um, 
you know, I, I was at an age where I was looking for solutions to maintain a youthful skin. And I said, this is like an amazing opportunity because it's, it allows us to empower people with revolutionary cosmetic solutions that they can use on their terms that, that aren't intrusive, that are light to the touch, etc. So it was a point in my life where I didn't have the fear. So when she told me this, instead of becoming fearful and thinking, wow, here's this incredibly intelligent person that I really admire who has a lot of experience telling me, run, <laughs> right? Uh, the first thing, uh, you know, a, a few years back, I would have ran. And, but I really felt that it was a time in my life where I, I would not let my fear hold me back. And I wasn't really attached to the outcome. I really believed in what I had and believed that it was something that needed to be brought to the market. So I just went forward. Okay, so everything you're saying just prompts like more and more questions in me. You just said that you're not attached to the outcome, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges for me in running my agency business. Mm -hmm. I'm so attached to the outcome that I thought it would have 11 years ago when I started it. And that's what drives me nuts, right, is this like fixation on why aren't I there? Why aren't we doing this? Why isn't that the amount of money in the bank, right? I'm so fixated on that stuff because I'm trying to force the outcome. Mm -hmm. um, and you just gave me an aha moment. Like, I need to stop. No, you absolutely need to stop. And I was just like you. I was so A-type and it had to be a certain way and I and it I had to present it in a certain way and I was so concerned about everybody's reaction, everybody's opinion and and what I realized at a certain point is I had no energy. I was I'm a very energetic person. I get up in the morning at 5 something and go to the gym. And I had no energy because Everything around me, all the noise and the need to control everything and the need to get to the finish line in a certain way was draining me. And so I started to step back and really look at myself and look at my approach and my thoughts and 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 it didn't it what didn't happen overnight. It was like one step forward, one step back, two steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward. But I, I when I started, and this is what I always say about my business, when I started to let go of my fears and not be attached to the outcome. It was really about the journey. All doors opened for me. It right. was the strangest thing, because they always say, you know, people say that, that, and they say the universe, and, you know, if you let go, this will happen. But it, it, I lived it. I lived it with my brand. All doors opened for me. Here I was, you know, on the floors of Selfridges, one of the greatest retail stores in the world, and I was fortunate enough to... Um, to launch my brand there, you know, and and because uh, I had showed it to the head of buying and merchandising of Selfridges, uh, thinking that perhaps I could give him a private label version of it. And he looked at it and he said, we don't do private label. He said, this is the bomb. This is the most amazing thing. His name is Sebastian Maines, wonderful man. And he said, you need to create a brand. And he was the one that first started to put it in my head that I needed to create a brand and he, Selfridges, he and Selfridges would support me in that uh. endeavor. And then the next thing I knew, I said, I'm going to Colette next because Colette's the coolest, most innovative store in the world. Without thinking, how do I get in Colette? Oh my God, I'm being attached to the outcome. I called up a friend in Paris and I said, and a friend that I hadn't seen for 30 years that just happened to come back into my life in the funniest way. So I called him and I said, who do you know at Colette? And he said, well, I know Sarah and Sarah runs Colette right with her mother Colette and she does all the buying and everything and I went to see Sarah I took the Eurostar from London went to see her and within a half an hour she said I'm launching you Couture Fashion Week so then I was launched and then then a, a Vogue US writer wrote a big article saying Canadian skincare phenomenon about to come stateside because she had seen me in Colette 
and then it all went from there. And and so and I never thought about it. I didn't really. And people kept saying to me, "You don't know what you're doing. This you don't know this business, uh, you know, etc." And I'd say, "I don't know what I don't know." But that's probably a good thing right. <laughs> because I wasn't thinking in terms of it has to be done this way, it has to be done that way. I was just going ahead based on my intuition and what I really believed inside without being limited by all the noise and all the advice around me that told me, no, I should do it this way. No, I should do it that way. Right. You know? So you told me something that was so fascinating when we were on the phone together last week. You said that it wasn't until your 40s that you had the courage to live life on your own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and as someone who I feel like I'm a work in progress, I want to hear more about this. What does that mean to you? Well, it sort of goes back to a bit to what I was saying a little earlier. What happened to me, and it's the type of personality I am, but I think a lot of women are like this. It doesn't matter how accomplished we are or anything. We tend to um, um, live like, you know, always look to others to... Um, to get confirmation, we're team players, consensus, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens to us is, and in my case, what happened to me was, you know, I grew up, I did everything that my parents told me to do, and I, you know, if I went the, the path that I was supposed to go. Then I met my husband and got married to him and was very easy about everything and did things the way he thought things should be done. And he always thought that I, I believed, uh, you know, that, that those were my choices also, right? And, and then, you know, then my, my in-laws, my friends, etc. I always, I, I lived on the terms of everybody else. I was a, 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 a pleaser and a consensus type uh, individual, right? And then, but I, what I realized was that I wasn't necessarily doing things in a way that made me happy. And so uh, when I, you know, as my children got older, because they fill in that time, you know, they they keep you busy and you don't really question things right at that point. As they started to get older, I started to realize I had lost part of myself along the way. And I wasn't really going forward in my life in ways that I wanted to go forward with, you know, uh, and and then I started to revisit it, as I was telling you, you know, just in general, looking at my energy, looking at everything, and and started to make changes and started to find my voice and say, no, I'd like to do this this way. No, this makes more sense to me. And when I started to do that and I found my voice, I felt somewhat liberated, a lot liberated, actually, and started to feel much happier as a person. So... Um, so that's sort of what I mean by finding the courage to live on my terms, because then I started to say, I think it should be this way, and I'm going to go that way, or, or you know, and not be fearful of the reaction of others. And, and as I was telling you with Mr. Gaspe, my second line, I felt because I knew how good I felt when I started to live on my terms, I wanted to put, um, create opportunities for young people, and that's why we give a percentage of the proceeds in Mystic Aspe to to projects and uh, causes that give people, enable them to live on their terms. That's really important to me. So a lot of the messaging around Mystic Aspe is about that. And, you know, even as a, right when you start, when you look at the the packaging, it says uh, beauty on my terms. So it's all about, you know, living on my terms from a younger age, finding that courage. I think a lot of our listeners will really um, love hearing you say that you lived a certain way and then you had this moment where you're like, it doesn't feel right anymore. I don't know who mm-hmm. I am or I'm not connecting to who sure. I am. Um, it's a process though, right? This is not like an overnight thing. No, it's a process. And it's a process getting there too, where you realize because you sort of, you know, 
you know, in in my case, I, you know, and the world is changing, but the, I think some a lot of the traditional ways still exist, where we just go along, we get married, we have the kids, we're the main caregiver, and we tend to um, do more to uh, accommodate everybody else's needs than ourselves. We tend to forget our needs, or 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 you know, reduce them, and and then as as the children get older, and and of course, as then you know, if you're still married, right? If your your spouse starts to become more stable in his business career, etc., because everything's building when you're younger, that you've got the children, the career is being built, you know, the family infrastructure, the financial infrastructure, etc., and everybody's working on that, and then and then and you're the one that's sort of balancing and keeping everybody happy, and the, and then you start to get to a point where your kids are older, businesses are more established, et cetera, et cetera, and you look at yourself and you say, wait a minute, what happened to me along the way, you know? Yeah. So I really, my advice too, and that's one of the things in all this messaging too, is I want young people, young women as an example, to uh, stay in it, so to speak, and don't, uh, you know, get lost along the way. Not to say I was lost as such. I was always still working and things. But, but as I said, you know, I didn't have my own voice. I, right. I and I didn't have the courage to have my own voice. So, I I totally relate to you. And I I've I think I've made a, most of my life as being a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I was really terrified of making other people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, that was sort of like my motivator in my actions, right? Like almost manipulating their reaction so that their reaction wouldn't be big or scary to me, mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. if I, that's whatever scary meant change from person to person. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until um, I think I was on the path to becoming a mom. I, I went through infertility. So this is sort of like an awakening kind of process mm -hmm. where I was, you know, on my hands and knees crying because it was so painful where I started to like open the door to like, who am I? Mm -hmm. um, and it's a long road. Yeah. I mean, I'm the, my son's 10, so it's been 10 years of me exploring who I am, mm -hmm. like what are my real feelings. Mm -hmm. I think for a long time I didn't really have a lot of feelings. I was so worried about other people's feelings. Sure. I understand completely. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's really brave of you to talk about this because it's um, much easier to not be vulnerable in this way, especially in, in our work. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. you're taking this, you know, vulnerability, which I think is really beautiful, and making it part of your brand, which mm -hmm. um, I, I can only think is going to do amazing things for people. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I kind of feel, you know, yes, I want my brand to be successful. I want it to be financially successful. I have people that believed in me, that invested in, in the brand. But I think there's something more than it. It gives me an opportunity to, to um, you know, communicate these things. It gives me... I. I think about the brand and I think, you know, even with our technology, I, because the technology goes deep in and then feeds the from the inside out. So I, it's truly beauty from the inside out. But I, I feel that if people feel good about themselves, there's a ripple effect. So they will go out in the world in a positive way. So my skincare, when you look in the mirror and you're glowing, makes you feel great. And it could be anybody's skincare, but you know, in the case that this is how I feel, and you go out in a positive way and you affect other people in a positive way, that's a great thing. It, it is a ripple effect. And, and um, 
so, uh, you know, that's why I, I'm happy to be open because I think there's more to this. Right. Um, so, you know, the b business has changed so much over the years. It used to be that there were only like a f the strategics, right? The big companies and mm -hmm. they had a ton of brands and they ruled school. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as you're part of it, this momentum of indie beauty is just like really fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, as somebody who doesn't have a product brand, like I love watching it from afar, right? And seeing mm -hmm. it through my client's eyes and my friend's eyes. Um, what do you think that the immediate future of indie beauty holds for brands, not that there's so many people playing in this space? Well, I think like anything, you know, it's now indie beauty is like the hot place to be. So a lot of people have these wonderful ideas and dreams and they're, they're running toward it. I think that the internet has um, given an opportunity, a platform for people to get get exposure and brands out there. And if you have an interesting concept and a different twist, I think you have a good chance in the old days you wouldn't have you wouldn't have survived people are looking the whole industry has democratized so people are looking for great uh, efficacy at reasonable prices etc cetera, etc cetera. and if if brands can present that with a great story everybody wants a story too mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so so uh, I think there's great opportunities for indie brands going forward because the traditional companies, beauty companies, they're wonderful, big machines, but because they are, they're not as nimble, as quick, as they they can't afford to take the same kind of risks as a small little brand can, you know, that's not making a lot of units and can make little mistakes as they tweak their way along. So, so I think as long as people are looking, uh, and people are smart now, people are educated, they know what's out there, they, they're making their choices, they, you know, they're reading the ingredient lists, et cetera, et cetera. So, so if you can come up with a great concept, I think you have an opportunity to, to thrive as a little indie brand. And, and the platform to do it is it's the time and then of course the big brands are now looking to all the indie brands because uh, there's so many to say which ones would be interesting to, to for us to invest in and help these little brands get to the next level because the reality is you could only go so far with an indie brand because if you do have success you need to fuel that success, and it takes money to do that through product development because you always have to have newness with sales support who can um, speak to your brand in stores, etc. And on the digital side, you have to put a lot of money on the digital side to drive awareness and digital sales, etc. And that's the reality. And the infrastructures of the larger companies afford indie brands the opportunities to do that, to really grow. So at a certain point, you know, the indie brands, you know, will, you know, the, it'll be like a, how do you say this? They'll, they'll, some of them will be taken up by the big guys. New ones will come out and that, so on and so forth. And we're seeing a lot of the acquisitions. We're seeing a lot of the, the numbers coming out of the larger companies. Thank you, Nanette, for your wisdom and sharing it with our listeners today. And for everyone else, please head to Instagram for updates about our show. You can find us at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.